The VanCast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Drancer, there it is. Not another win, but hey, the All-Star break is here. We get another break because the Canucks clearly haven't had enough of those coming off back-to-back games four and six, but the last two since our last pod ends with a win in Chicago and a 4-2 loss in Nashville. They did some good things, but clearly looked tired at the end of it all. Did they? I thought so. I thought they looked a little tired in the third. Oh, they definitely looked a little tired in the third. By the by, by the time the third was over, the 4-2 scoreline flattered them, even though they were the better team through 40 minutes, right? I mean... For sure. The, the Predators just had chance after chance. They The transition... The Canucks' transition defense just basically fell apart. Um, and then in Chicago, you know, they were the better team. They controlled play, but... Like, that Blackhawks team is Dreadful. Dreadful. Yes, and, they are. And they, and they finally got a starting goalie last night. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And they got flurry the other night. But, you know, as far as the top teams are concerned. Totally. Yeah. They haven't beaten a lot of good goalies um, still. Right. They lost to Markstrom. They lost to Saros. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought that I thought that Nashville third period was really poor, really poor. But other than that, I thought they were pretty good in, against the Predators, at least through the first 40 minutes. Um, against the Blackhawks, they get the win. It was a, a really important win to have, but I didn't think they played that great. I just think the Blackhawks suck, like suck so much. Like other than Brandon Hagel, I thought every Blackhawk had a bad game and on top of being bad players performed badly and <laughs> bad combination, th- bad combination. So, you know, partial. I mean, look, credit to the Canucks, right? Uh, two one and one road trip is a good outcome. I guess the problem is you don't gain, right? Like the standard for this team has to be really high. If you're one of those people who still thinks this team can make the playoffs. Now I'm not, you know that I've been pretty consistent all year. I don't think a lot of this team, right? I don't think a lot of this roster and fans like to say like, Oh, you hate the team. You hate the organization. It's like, no, I just don't believe in this roster as constructed at all. Well, in the organization, look, if that's how fans view it, like consider that the organization has turned over completely. Right. Like totally. since, since we began this assessment, if you're a fan and you think we're just pissing on the organization, consider the organization has changed completely. You could make that argument in the previous regime and it was completely justified if we pissed on them. So you would think that we would just be beside ourselves about this team right now. But ultimately, the roster is the roster. But Boudreau came in and got them playing better legitimately. Like he's done a great job. No question Absolutely. about it. And people like to point to the 12-5 and uh, 4, right? The 12-5 and 4 record. And it is good. It's really good. It's uh, what? A 666 win percentage. That's top half of the league. Um, They've played better 5-on-5. Five five. There's a lightness to the way they carry themselves. Um, There are some... There is like a master, a mastery of the big picture, right? I think Bruce Boudreaux has a superpower as an NHL head coach, and it is twofold, in my opinion. One, he carries himself delightfully and is clearly well-liked, and, and, and players work hard for him on a consistent basis. That is a huge, huge part of why he's been one of the most successful regular season coaches in the history of this league. The other part of it is that I think in a league and in a sport where everyone plays pretty conservative as a general rule, Bruce Boudreaux consistently has players out there playing with a level of aggression that's like active or proactive even, right? Um, They're out there to try and win every game. 
And I think players respond to that. I think when it's game 57 of the year and, you know, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, we're in Columbus. Like, let's go. You know, at least you're getting to play this like fun up tempo style and, you know, the defense pinch a lot and you four check deep and you play hard. And I think players respond to that. And I think he wins a lot of games as a result of those two sort of superpowers. However, however, I do think it's fair to point out that his matchup discipline is not through and through, right? Like that's not sort of his his game. He, he plays the matchup game, but he's not rigorous about it or certainly as rigorous about it as, um, you know, a, a coach like a Pete DeBoer or, or a Travis Green. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're seeing play out in real time some player deployment decisions that are fair to sort of look askance at, right? To, to wonder about. Uh, scratching Niels Hoaglander, sort of the top line item for me there. Far more than scratching uh, Vasily Podkolzin, right? And, you know, OEL on the flanks, uh, the way that that Yuho Lamico line is being played as like a second or third line, right? Like basically at par with their second line with the likes of Garland. Um, you know, there's there's some things to sort of point to and be like, hmm, I wonder about that. But for all that you might point to and wonder about, Boudreaux's mastery of the big picture, his mastery of the macro, his overall tactical aggression is worth far more in the big picture in terms of how his teams perform than the small details, the things you might quibble about around the edges. And we've seen that play out for this team. They've played better. They're still not good enough and they're not going to make the playoffs, Farhan. And I think it's really important at this point as this team enters the all-star break, as we await the other shoe to drop from Jim Rutherford, that we kind of like move away from the, when this market gets hopeful about the team, for all that, for all that the idea that like this market loves its negativity, when this market gets hopeful at all about this team, it becomes like really necessary. There's like a standard of politeness that is required. It's like a high British standard. It's like, oh, they lost, but the chaps, they worked so hard. They worked so hard <laughs> in Nashville. They fell short, but they worked so hard. And it's like, no, like this team's not good enough. I'm sorry. Like they have, they weren't good enough before. They've improved under Boudreaux and they're still not good enough. This blue line's not close. It's far too expensive. Um, you know, significant surgery needs to happen because this team's peers are the Blue Jackets and the Red Wings, teams that are trying to lose this year, Farhan, trying to lose. And the Canucks were all in on this year, like no cap flexibility, no, no prospects coming, um, you know, 22nd in point percentage. Like, come on, there's a lot of work to do. If you want this franchise to give you meaningful games in the next two, three years, like in, in the during the duration of Rutherford's current contract, like bold moves aren't just shouldn't just be an expectation. They're an absolute necessity. Like this need this team needs a significant rethink. And as hard as that is, considering the lengthy rebuild that, that it took to construct this lineup, um, that's where they're at. And and you, you know, you you can be angry about reality, but if you're angry about reality without grappling with it, then you're just throwing a tantrum. Well said, my friend. Well said. Let's look at the numbers real quick. And Boudreaux's Canucks, 12, 5, and 4 in the 21 games since he arrived. They won the Very first good. seven. Yeah, they won their first seven. And then since then, it's leveled off. There's no doubt about it. 5, 4, and 4 in 14 games. Yeah, they've been dealing with COVID. They've been dealing with, you know, breaks and travel and everything else, right? We, we do, do know how heavy the, the schedule has been as far as uh, road heavy and 
you know, just every time they get momentum, they got to take a break and, and so on and so forth. But they are where they are. And Boudreaux talked to us, uh, you know, I, like I asked him in his availability, I think it was yesterday. And I said, that, yeah. you know, you, you've got, you want to win every game, but you've got a, co- you've got a general manager who has said that, you know, he's, I he's got his a- answer, by the way. Yeah. So, so, you know, the question essentially was that if you're Jim Rutherford, you've got to think one way and he's talked about big decisions that have to be made. So how do you respond as a, as a head coach and take us, take us through the answer and, and your take on Bruce's approach to all of this, because he has to know what's coming. Well, he just said it's on me to make it as hard as possible. And I thought that was such a good, healthy answer from a coach who's intent on just coaching the players he's given, right? He's going to try and get the most out of the players he's given, period. That's his job as he sees it. Um, And he, you know, talked openly about his job being to make Jim Rutherford's decisions as tough as possible. And I just thought it was a very good, like, coach is coach. Managers manage and players play <laughs> style yeah, answer. Like I sure. just, lo- I just loved it. I thought, you know, when I when I talk about the way about Bruce Boudreau being part of his sort of superpowers behind an NHL bench, like Exhibit A, I thought that was just such a healthy, smart way to diffuse it overall and to keep the motivation on his players. Like, hey, you want to stay together? We got to go streaking again, and they do. I mean, they do. Like, they're going to come back from this break here. They've got the Islanders in Arizona and Toronto, and then they go to San Jose. They've got Anaheim on the schedule. Like, you know, the, the, the month of February looms really large for this group of players if they want to stay here, if they want to stay together. And, you know, I, I felt like in addition to diffusing your question without providing the sort any sort of speculative grist, his answer was a reminder to any players who heard his availability. Like, oh, right. You know, like at the end of the day, this still is in our control if we if we go out and win a ton of games. And and so, you know, go do it. I, I mean, I don't I don't think they can make the playoffs. I, I don't. I'd bet heavily against it. Yeah, play- they got to play 700 hockey. Right. And, and that's essentially what they've been probably just shy of that. Yeah, in- 700 hockey gets you into the mid 90s. Uh, 700 hockey could get you to 97 or 98. Could it not? Even after lo- the loss last night? Oh, no, not after the loss last night. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at like six, three, five. I know I did the math on this six, three, five got you to 93 points before yesterday. That's a 104 point pace far on. If they played at oh, a, I know. at 104 point pace the rest of the season before they lost in regulation yesterday, they still would have been what I'd expect to be below the playoff bar. Um, you know, do they have that in them? I don't think so. I don't. I really don't. But, you know, I, I know people in this market want to believe they do. And, you know, that's there's no wrong way to support this team. Like, you do you. I, I just think that the focus, or my focus anyway, needs to shift to what needs to happen. And and to hear, to see what Boudreaux's accomplished, I think is, to me, like a greater source of hope or should be a greater source of hope for this market than the team's slim chance of making the playoffs because they've got a coach who's, I think, really good, like one of the best in the league. And to hear Jim Rutherford talk about cap space and flexibility and the importance of that, something that's long been ignored by this franchise, is to me another great source of hope. But, but you know, I would just recommend as like someone who thinks a lot about this team and critically, like that that's where you should place your hope. In my view, in my opinion, my recommendation, as opposed to, 
you know, on the club's recent form and their point percentage under Boudreaux and the idea that they can make the playoffs this year. Like, I, I just think this team needs a fundamental rethink in terms of how they're constructed, how they've allocated cap space. And it's going to take probably some painful moves. And yes, a short term step back, in my view, to accomplish getting, you know, this core group, this this rebuilding effort back on track and and make no mistake, it's it's about getting it back on track because, you know, since the since the momentary signs of progress in 2019-20, right? This team has been listless to put it kindly. Uh, absolutely fair. Now let's talk about the moves because I think the biggest concern that Canuck fans have is what is the core? And is the core simply four players? Is it simply Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, Demko? That's it. You know, because from what we've read, been led to believe that none of those players are, are on the block. And, and you know, you wouldn't expect it, right? But, I mean, I, I know there is a bit of a debate around Bo Horvat versus some of the other top players in that group. But I know many believe the core is six players, which includes Besser and Miller. And there's simply no way to keep Horvat, Besser, and Miller, all three of them. But can well, they I keep- disagree with that. Okay, take me, I, I, take me through the math and take me through a scenario where they can keep all three and still improve the defense and make other fixes on the roster. Well, the key is the key is that you have to get off of Myers's money after next season. That's that's it's simple actually because Myers is at Myers gets his paid his signing bonus and he goes down to one million in salary. You move him in the summer of twenty twenty three and there you go, presto, you can keep that core group. The question is is. Do the numbers that Besser, who's expiring following this year, and then Miller, who's expiring the year after, do those make sense? And I suspect the club is, you know, in addition to being in the process of gauging interest in in a variety of key players on the trade market, I I suspect they're taking runs at at figuring out exactly what that would look like, too, so they can make the most informed decision. Um, In fact, I know they are. So that's sort of where we're at. They're, They're taking... They're doing an inventory, as it were, and and trying to figure out exactly what it would cost. But there are there are routes, there are routes to allow them to carve out the space necessary to keep that group together. And and the core might be might be four guys, and that that isn't enough. You do need a larger core group than that, right? Um, so you know there is more that has to be added to the core of this of this team. But that's true regardless of whether or not you include Miller and Besser in this club's long-term plans or not. And, you know, for me, I, I would certainly, tr- I would certainly include um, Besser based on his age as, as a guy you'd love to try and find a way to keep. Um, you know, I love Connor Garland. Like I love Connor Garland's game. I think a lot of him as a player. Um, I've been really impressed by his performance all year. I believe in Besser. I believe in Miller. I think Miller is a fantastic hockey player. So, you know, I don't I'm not coming down on one side or the other. I'm not advocating for these guys to necessarily be shipped out. But I do think that finding a way to get 20 to 25 million in cap space for this offseason is absolutely essential if you're going to reset or or, or rebuild uh, some of the issues that are plaguing this team in depth offense in particular. Uh, penalty killers, like more effective penalty killers, and and you have to rebuild this blue line. Like this blue line, just isn't good enough. 
Yeah, speaking of the blue line, uh, defensemen have scored two of the Canucks' last three goals. Um, <laughs> Bruce had a pretty good line the other day after the Chicago game saying, hey, you know, he, I don't care. It's the first time a guy scored since I've been here, referring to Luke Shen's empty netter. And uh, he's Bobby Orr to me. I loved it. I loved it. That goal was so cool. You know, the Canucks defense goes how, how many, like almost two months without scoring a goal. And then, and then you've got Luke Shen scoring like the coolest empty netter you'll find, right? Just like shot blocks, stand up, dead eye shot from 200 or 160 feet away. Um, you know, just like boom, Luke Shen ends the game ruthless. And then Oliver Ekman Larson with this like spinning fadeaway uh, point shot. Like, exceptionally cool. Both goals, exceptionally cool goals, having gone that long without getting an offensive, um, you know, uh, contribution, a direct offensive contribution from your blue line. Uh, pretty pretty fun way to end that streak for, for Vancouver's defense score. Yeah, uh, Blake Price had a pretty good note the other day, or last night, I should say, that Shen's goal came on the 157th shot from a Canucks defenseman under Boudreaux. Uh, <laughs> their shooting percentage probably gets a little better from there. They're as bad as it's looked. Um, it, that's not sustainable. That level of futility. No, it's not. But, but there is a personnel issue too, right? I mean, how often have you seen Canucks defenders join the rush as effectively as other teams defenders do? Oh, no question. You know, I mean, even yeah. that Connor Murphy goal, which I'm sure Halak would want back, even though Halak was sensational in in Chicago on Monday. Um, you know, I just feel like there's not the type, same types of opportunities for Canucks defensemen who are shooting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an issue. Like it's, it's just an issue. Like this, this defense can't transition well enough. And, and part of the reason they played better under Boudreaux is that they've stopped even trying. They just, they just punt and hunt. Um, so often they've, they basically like removed breakout passing as part of their team's responsibilities. Um, you know, it's worked. They've been better because of it, but it's not ideal, right? It's not how you want to play. You want yeah, to play with the puck. Yeah, you want to be taking fourth man's ice. Like, you want to be aggressive. Um, you watch the best teams in the league, and their defense is involved. Their defense contributes a ton. Like, go watch the Avs or the Panthers or the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Vegas Golden Knights and, like, how they generate offense. Go watch, go watch Oliver Chillington for the Calgary Flames. You know, it's... Uh, it's a level of involvement that the Canucks defense core as a group just can't muster at the moment aside from number 43. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about where this team is headed from a trade perspective, because the all-star game is going to be one of those points. And I'm not sure there's going to be necessarily big moves here in the next five days during the break, but we're looking at it as a chance for the organization to reset, have additional meetings, have more dialogue with other teams, and, and just kind of make sure that they are sure in not just what they want to do, but when they want to do it, right? You can make the case that, yeah, okay, they, they need to trade, but what exactly do they need to trade for? Are we staying firm with the prices that have been floated out there to this point, right? Is it more about cap space? Is it more about prospects? Is it more about draft picks? What is the single biggest priority? And it might be all of those in some way, shape, or form, but different yeah, assets based on... I know, but different guys based on their situations are going to be able to realize different pieces, so you do have to prioritize. And I think for this group, the number one thing is cap space. Like as bad as the prospect pipeline is, 
One of the reasons the prospect pipeline is that bad is because the team at the big club has been so garbage that every year they've added a guy straight out of the draft. Like they are or like not necessarily out of the draft, but they've added a guy before he's ever spent a minute in the minors. Right. So that is part of it. It's generally the core is exceptionally young and they've added those guys right out of the gate because they simply haven't been good enough. So in terms of development and pipeline, that is part of the no, context. It's, it's, it's more not the full that. reason. It's more sure than it that. Like the last I, two years, they haven't picked outside like, you know, the 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 two top or three of the top prospects that you should have. Absolutely. You know, are, yeah, are, they've given up. They've given up too much and haven't had the draft capital yeah, to build lost, a pipeline. They lost a second in Madden for Toffoli. They lost a first for Miller. They lost a first for Garland and OEL. They lost their second round pick coming up for OEL and Garland. Like, you know, they've they've the creaky edifice that you see on the ice, right? Has been built by s- stealing Paul uh, from Peter to pay Paul, right? They've sacrificed cap flexibility which they now have to work hard to carve out. And that's probably going to require trading good pieces. They've, you know, stolen from the prospect pipeline. And yes, you're right. Hoaglander and Pod Colson on the roster, for example, like those guys, maybe one of them could be your prized prospect somewhere, you know, if in another situation. But even if that were the case, the Canucks would still have a bottom 10 prospect pipeline. Right. For sure. It's, I mean, and look at it. Like all we talk about enough. is Jack Rathbone because there's nobody else to talk well, about. And then, and then they've made one pick in the top sixty in the last two years. I mean, you know, and and they don't have. They only have one pick in the top sixty this year. So you know, not not enough assets. You're asset poor. Poor. Uh, your prospect pipeline is you know other than Jack Rathbone not going to deliver much in the in the near term unless you unless you build it back up. And there's no cap space to make significant changes or um, or what have you. So, you know, all of it needs to all of that needs to be like the foundation. The foundation needs to be worked on first because there's no wiggle room to improve. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck with what you've got unless you begin unless you begin to sort of remove value from that edifice and, and put it back to your foundation. That's that's the primary task for me. And it's why I don't see a route forward. Um, I don't see a route forward that will work continuing to bolster this group. Unfortunately, it needs to be changed or or this team's not going to go anywhere. They're, they're not going to accomplish either. Right. Like this team, this team's been built for now at the expense of the future, except it's not built for now either. Right. They've accomplished neither thing. No, well, there, there is a line there. Right. Because if you sit there and, and start to rebuild it with prospects and draft picks, that doesn't give you a chance to be functional in two to three years. Right. Because that's what that's what fans say right now, that if you lose Besser and Miller, like how long is it going to take now? By the time we're functional, Pedersen will be 27 because that's how long it'll take. No, but right? I'm not saying you don't have to go scorched earth. You have you have good bones still. You have good young players on the roster, as we've talked about, right? Um, but you have to be able to find guys that can contribute that are, you know, that are added to your roster. Like you need a prospect isn't necessarily a guy who just sits in your system. He's also the capital you need to improve your lineup, right? I mean, you think about you think about the you think about the Florida Panthers two years ago, 
or you think about the Colorado Avalanche in 2018, right? When their when their rebuild seemed to be truly off track, but it's like you have McKinnon, you have Rantanen, like you have good pieces. Well, what do you need to do? Like they dealt a bunch of really good players and took a long view and got better that way. Same same mm-hmm. with the same with the Panthers, right? Vincent Trocek went out for a bevy of prospects, but also the cap space. They made a ton of bets. A couple of years down the line, you're trading really good prospects like Devin Levy for players like Sam Reinhart. Um, you're trading draft picks for Sam Bennett. You know, like that's kind of how it how it's done. You know, you you need to like they lost a lot of good players, the Panthers and the Avs. There's a lot of good players that went out the door in service of them ultimately improving. Ryan O'Reilly left the Avs for fuck's sake. I mean, there's, um, you know, I just, I just, I don't see that. I don't see that as a, I don't see that as a, I don't see that as a fait accompli that you take a step back and you suck for a couple more years necessarily. It's more about getting more future oriented value and flexibility so that you can improve fast because you can't improve fast, even with a really good player who makes six million. You know what I mean? You need to use mm-hmm. that six million to find two good players. <laughs> like that's that's the challenge. That's the challenge so, that this team needs to take on, in my view. So take me through what they're going to wind up doing. Like we've heard the names, right? I mean, we've heard we've obviously heard Miller. We're now starting to hear Connor Garland. You know, there we've there's a lot of guys that have been talked about. Um, Brock Besser's name is coming back to the mix yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, if you're talking about the Canucks making trades, Brock Besser's name is never far behind. No. So so what do you see realistically and practically happening either at this deadline or this offseason? You know, let's just start with the deadline because we know that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that would, that would kind of like to be half pregnant because certainly when you can move a guy in the case of a Miller who's got you know, two deadlines to go, you know, the rest of this season and next season on a team-friendly deal, it increases his asset value versus just moving him at this offseason, um, you know, versus a guy like Besser, who's, you know, got the the big number due potentially as a starting point, which, yes, you can negotiate around uh, based on his last contract and the arbitration options and all of it. Um, where do you see this team going this deadline? Not this offseason, this deadline. The, the short answer is that I don't know, but I would expect... I would expect they try and make at least one big deal and to gain cap flexibility and to future assets and you know, which piece exactly moves, I think depends on, you know, how preliminary feelers go with those camps on, on what extensions look like. Cause I think that's an important thing to know. And then I think it matters too. What other teams are willing to pay to, to land those pieces, right? Like, I think you you have to wait, you know, the value you might get off of an extension versus the value you might get off the cap space plus the draft picks and players that you that you get back. And so I think it's sort of a moving target when you talk about players as good as the three you just mentioned um, to figure out exactly what it all ends up looking like. I think it'll depend significantly on the market price of both the extension and, and the trade value. And so I would expect more than anything for the Canucks to explore very aggressively, um, finding that out on, on Besser and Miller in particular. And, and I would expect that they gauge the market on just about everybody that's not named Horvat, Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, uh, who's signed to a contract worth, you know, more, more than 4 million. So I would expect them to try and figure out what, 
um, a guy like Garland or a guy like even Tyler Myers might bring back, uh, or if they're movable even. Um, you, you have to. You have to. Because again, you need to carve out that space and you need to net as many futures as you can. Um, not necessarily because you're going to re- like launch this long-term rebuild, but because you need weaponry. You need assets to improve this team. Uh, among them, chief among them is is that cap flexibility. So that's that's what I that's what I'm expecting at this point. I'm just expecting the Canucks to be very open minded and ultimately pretty aggressive in in clearing cap space. But I also think that they are in the driver's seat with just about every one of these situations where they can wait. Like there's no rush to necessarily like I'm not I I would expect we see a big move before the deadline, but I don't think they. I don't think that's a guarantee because I don't think there's a, you know, big ticking clock that's hanging over them on the Miller or the or the Besser front. There's time to sort through those things in the offseason. There's time uh, that they can use if the offers aren't up to snuff or if, you know, extension talks go a certain way or or what have you. Uh, same goes for Garland. The, the one guy with a ticking clock is Tyler Mott. And Mott is an interesting one to me because I think he's a pretty good facsimile for the way that this team ultimately will want to play. Right. And as such, you know, I'm not, I'm not as convinced that he's a must move piece. Like I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be stunned to see them entertain an extension there because of what he represents in terms of how this team wants to play the speed that they want, the, you know, work ethic they want, the character, et cetera. So that's to me the, one of the more interesting situations in part because there is some urgency to chart a course one way or the other there uh, where there really isn't on the other players. But you'd think that he's the type of player that would bring back some value for a team, you know, that is making a playoff push. I mean, that's a guy whose game is playoff built, showed in the bubble that he was consistently, you know, not only in a, on a defensive role, but he was able to chip in points and was kind of the only guy in their bottom six to do that. Wouldn't he be a guy that really has some value at this time that isn't necessarily critical to the Canucks core outside of, you know, a demonstration of how you'd like to play? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely the case, but I also think he's I, I also think he's not gonna be a six million dollar piece. I think if you make some of the other moves that that could happen higher up the lineup and his number comes in at the right point, um, you know, I'm I'm just saying I, I think Tyler Mott's a more difficult decision than your classic rental piece. Um in part because of how in flux this team is, and in part because of how well he fits the profile of the type of player that has tended to be prized on, you know, teams that Jim Rutherford has built in the past. Boy, I'll tell you, the Canucks have hired some important pieces at a really critical time because when you look at the number of things they've got to do to get these decisions right, from gauging the market to gauging what these players are going to cost them to get re-signed, there's a lot of work to do. And it seems that they're they're much better equipped to actually execute that in a in an educated manner and timely manner. That's the hope. I mean, you have to do better than this team has done over the past five, six years, right? I mean, not no a hu- not a high bar, though. No, it's not. Uh, like uh, uh, you know, and and that's and that's also again for for fans who've listened to this and are thinking, why do I listen to this guy He's so negative? Um, you know, I just think it's really important to be clear eyed about what Rutherford's inherited, right? And 
you know, this team as it stands is going to miss the playoffs in all likelihood. 91% likely according to Dom Lecision's model today. Um, 28th strongest prospect system in the NHL according to Scott Wheeler. Don't have their full coterie of draft picks. Um, you know, like there's just there's a lot of work to do. This 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 is a fix job. Rutherford's here to fix this mess. Um, this is a team that was built without margin for error. This needed to work this season, and it didn't. It didn't. It hasn't. Um, they've now brought in a, a really sharp general manager. They built a or a, a really sharp president of hockey operations, who's built a pretty impressive hockey operations group. They brought in one of the best coaches, one of the most successful regular season coaches in the history of the game. And a guy who, from what we've seen in his first two months, still has his fastball despite pushing 70, right? I mean, is still a very impressive bench boss. Um, there's still some really young players on this team that I think are, you know, better than they've been this season and are really, really good. Qu- uh, you know, Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko have been full value. I still believe that Elias Pettersson is a tremendous piece. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, this hasn't been his best year. I think he's going to bounce back for sure. And so, you know, there's a lot to like in terms of where this club's going, but there's a ton of work that needs to be done to just sort of shore up the foundation, to give this team what they need to get better. And, And that starts with cap flexibility, but it includes draft picks. It includes prospects. It includes younger players. And then it includes a ton of creativity um, to, you know, I think make some smart cash in cash out deals to reallocate cap space away from the blue line, right? This blue line's not good enough to be the second most expensive blue line group in the league. They're spending 36 plus percent of their cap space on, on a blue line. That's not good enough. Like that's, you can't win like that Farhan. You cannot win like that. Um, there's a ton of work that needs to be done, but there's some interesting building blocks here, and and I think it's important to recognize how deep the hole is, how deep the hole is in the fact that they brought these people in to dig it up, to dig you know up, <laughs> to di- to get themselves back to level ground, and you know that might require some moves that seem controversial at first blush, but with the long view, if they can be creative in it, I do think you can get this team back to being, you know, progressing the right way. In, in, in two, three years. Like, I do think that's possible. It's doable. It's just that there's a lot of damage that's been done and a lot of inflexibility that's been added to a roster that sucks. And, you know, it's important to note that. Like, it's important to note how difficult the situation Rutherford's inherited is. Well, and again, now he's got some support to do it. Uh, we'll outline kind of the short-term and long-term around that situation, just as far as uh, timelines are concerned. But first, uh, we'll take one more quick break. So, Drancer, between now coming out of the All-Star break, of course, and the trade deadline, which is March 21st, the Canucks have 18 games before then. 13 of those games are at home, and the schedule isn't as daunting as what they've been dealing with. You know, they, they've got they've got a couple of games against the Leafs. Uh, you know, there's a few others sprinkled in there, but by and large, this is not what they've been dealing with. Um, so, what has to happen? Bruce Boudreaux talked about making it difficult. What needs to happen? What does difficult look like? for Jim Rutherford to change his short-term view. His, his, his off-season view, I don't think there's anything you can do to change that, nor should there be. But the short-term goal for this trade deadline, 
What needs to happen from Bruce Boudreaux? Is it is it simply seven hundred hockey? Yeah, is it, it is fourteen? Is it fourteen of eighteen games? No, it's seven. I mean, for me, for me, it's like you you don't, you're running out of time. You know, like you have to be if you want to be shopping guys who have big contract numbers that go. You know, that last beyond this year, you need time to make those deals. So you don't have the full. You know. Six weeks to wait. You kind of need to start moving now. And also, the Canucks' playoff hopes with 36 games left require that the team make a move now. Like for me, it's the nine games in February. You need you need six and a half wins. So you need you know you know six two and one, um, or the equivalent over the first nine games. So that's you know. Tough. Like, that's tough. And you're facing some of the teams you're chasing. You know, those that Anaheim game, that San Jose game, those both need to be regulation wins. Um, you know, you need to dust the Islanders. You need to dust the Coyotes. You need to hold uh, hold on against the Leafs uh, by your fingernails if necessary. Like, you need to capitalize. And you need... It's those nine games in February. You need you need six wins in that nine and, a, and another loss after regulation. No more than two regulation losses in that span um that keeps you alive that keeps you alive that keeps you gaining because it's not even like one thing is over the month of january the canucks stayed alive but they didn't gain and they're out of time there's no time anymore like you can't you can't afford a month where you're not gaining when you're as far back as the canucks have been uh throughout this year so that's sort of where i see this team being at and for me i would just say I would just add that like there's nothing really that this team can do to convince me to be totally honest to let it ride. You know, I would be looking further afield no matter what if in Rutherford's shoes. Now, I think he's uh, obviously a more experienced person than me. I think he has a much better sense of what the players have earned in terms of uh, keeping the group together or not. But my my recommendation would be like there's nothing I can see from this Canucks team that convinces me that a playoff chase to land you in the second wild card spot and a, and a chance to get your you know skull busted in by the Colorado Avalanche as Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen feast on the delicious goo inside is worthwhile. Like I don't even think the pursuit is worthwhile. To be totally honest with you, Farhan, like wh- yeah, what? Do we we're, care? Not, we're not talking about. We're not talking about adding a bunch of pieces. Like the, no, you know, no, the question know, was, even, what does he have standing, to do to make it hard? Does that mean just hang on to JT until the off season? Like that's what I'm talking about. Well, but, right? but I'm not I talking mean, about spending any capital. Sure. I'm saying, look, if the Canucks wind up and look, this is a big ask. But if they get 26 well, or 27 out of 36 points, because this is why we're here. We're here to talk about what the fans care about, which is <laughs> obviously a lot of that is 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 the future of what this team well, should look like. like why do you want to see the Canucks lose four? Or five in the playoffs like you because know with they, Demko, why, like what why, why, i don't need to see this team get outshot by 15 shots no, every game against but, the but going going through the process and if you if you squeak in and the level with which you have to play at to squeak in makes you not necessarily a contender but it, it would frighten some teams when you got in. It would energize and engage the fan base. It would put some of your players in tough positions. For years, they talked about meaningful games in March and April, right? We just want to, we just want to get to the point where we're at the point, right? And so there is some value to that. There is some value. Like if you want to talk about how to identify what your players really are, put them in those situations. 
And we're not just talking about the actual playoff games themselves. We're talking about the final uh, eight to 10 games just to get to that point. So again, I'm not talking about adding and doing something stupid. No, maybe just not trading. Anyway. Maybe just not trading is stupid. Right. Like maybe just not trading immediately is stupid. Well, no, I don't think uh, it is. I don't think it is because, as I said, I think they have time. Like, I don't think I don't sure. think so, it's so, a, all, so that's but, what but we're I'm talking saying, about. But I'm saying we're it's talking not about, about taking the time, but it's talking not about, about taking the, the time. The tough decision for me isn't about whether or not you have a chance to sneak into the playoffs and get throttled by Colorado. The, the tough decision is, you know, if if you get to a point in talks where you know, uh, you're able to think like, hey, you know, in the offseason, we think JT Miller's open to doing a four year extension at $7 million a year. Well, then it becomes a tough conversation. Like, is that worth more than dealing him? And for me, the answer would be unequivocally, yeah, do that. <laughs> like, that's a great deal. Um, but if you're talking about six million or six years at eight, that's a different conversation for me. Then it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, and well, he's that's- not coming in at four years. You're not going to, this is his home run contract. Okay. Right. Well, then like you're, you're coming off the season. No, he's, he's, coming done off well. of, he's done well. You're not getting him for four years because at that point, at that point he's 32 and he's a depreciating asset. He's not going to get that kind of money when he's 32. He needs to cash in today. Yeah. I think you're looking at five, six years. So, you know, I'm that, but that, but I'm saying again, it's not the on ice component that would make the decision tough for me. It's the talks with his camp. Same same goes for guys like Besser, right? The the Garland one is fascinating to me because I think he's going to be full value for that contract, um, you know, with a bullet. So why would you deal him unless it was a stylistic determination, right? And that to me is where, you know, mistakes can get made ultimately in, in constructing a lineup. So the Garland one to me is the, is the one that's most fraught with error. Uh, but it, but it doesn't come down to how the team performs because I think I know what this team is, right? Like this team has the capability of being good when their goaltender is Hashik like, or their goaltending is Hashik like, because it hasn't just been Demko, right? It's been Spencer Martin. It's been Yara Halak. Um, well, let's, let's talk quickly about the goaltending. Um, and, uh, and Demko, what'd you make of his performance last night? Four goals allowed. He got a clean look at two of them, but they were ridiculously good shots. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and still he stood on his head on a number yeah. of opportunities for, for National. How sick is Philip Forsberg? Oh my God. He's so good. He's so good. He might be the most skilled player in the game. Um, look, I don't think Demko played poorly. I don't. I think the. No, me neither. I think he, you know, he, was he up to the ridiculous standard that he's set for himself? No, probably not. Um, I, you know, do I think that at the top of his game, if Demko's at the absolute top of his game, I still think the Canucks lose that one three two. And if you put in an average goaltender, I think the Nashville Predators would have stuck three or four goals in the Canucks in that third period. That's basically how I captioned Demko's performance. Like, could he have been a goal better? Sure. Sure. Maybe. If he's at the absolute top of his game, which, you know, I don't, I don't know that that was a signature Demko start last night. But if you replaced an average goaltender with Demko in that game last night, I think they lose 6-2. So, you know, that's uh, ultimately, I think he played fine. Demko is literally without blame. <laughs> for the, no matter what no. happens, no, you know, for sure he's incredible, and and but they've needed him to be incredible. Like one thing about this team 
is that they've had the best goaltending in the NHL five on five in the Boudreaux era. And they're still like 12th in point percentage, right? It's like, that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're, if you're, if you have the best goaltending at the, if you have, if your players are performing better than anyone else's players at the most important position, and you're still the 12th best team in hockey, that's a problem. That means you're not very good. A couple of other players I want to ask you about. Um, First of all, Connor Garland, uh, he's kind of one of the players that I feel he might be the only player on the roster that may have been a little better under Green than he has been under Boudreaux. What do you make of what we've seen and what Boudreaux has seen from Connor Garland? And obviously, he's missed a lot of games, right? So it's not as simple as saying this is what he's been in 21 games because it hasn't been that. I just love Connor Garland. I just love the I way he too. wins battles. I love the edge he plays with. I love the offensive creativity. I think Connor Garland's great. I'd love to see him get more power play opportunities. I would be promoting him into a bigger part, like a bigger spot in the lineup as opposed to exploring his trade value that's my personal view especially yeah, because, because he's because locked of the value in. of the contract yeah and he's locked in like through his 20s through his prime or his late prime anyway uh at a clip that i think he'll exceed the value on like he's their best five on five point producer this season um i think he's shown some decent chemistry with elias Pettersson. i i like his game i like the grit i like the way that he you know, he, he, I like the way that he's like Woody Woodpecker out there. I like the way that he annoys his opponents, the way that he tossed that, uh, was it, uh, Trennan into the net, the hit on, yeah. uh, the hit on Philippe Myers. Like, I loved all of it. I'm here for the Connor Garland show. Uh, I, I don't understand that one the way I understand the others because for me, that deal is, is high value. But I also think that Rutherford likes straight line speed. Right. Typically. Uh, and if you don't have straight line speed, you know, he, he likes you to be making 1.2 million or or to be an absolute monster at the net front a la Patrick Orkfist. Right. Like that's kind of the usual Rutherford template. So, again, I, I mean, I, I'm a little leery about that one. That's the one that makes me far more nervous than the JT Miller one, because I do think Miller comes in at six times eight. Right, I, I probably earned that. He's probably earned that. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm. I would be very happy for him to get six times eight. He's a great player. I've enjoyed covering him. But to me, that's a that's a deal. Like paying a guy, you know, if you're if you're doing a six year deal with him, four of those years are, are a player in his thirties, right? And a player in his thirties who's been a point per game guy only the last three years of his career. Um. You know that, yeah that that makes me a little that makes me nervous in a way that keeping Connor Garland doesn't. So that's sort of the Garland one is the one that I think is the is the trickiest to navigate with his name being you know prominently mentioned by Elliot Friedman and company. Like that's that's one that I find the most difficult to process from a you know logic standpoint from a hockey logic standpoint. I, I think it must be stylistic. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what. We'll see how that shakes out, but that's one that I think is the most fraught with with danger. Like that's the that's the trade that if the Canucks decided to make it, I think that's the trade that's hardest to win. Elias Pettersson, uh, we've been lauding uh, PD, like not necessarily this week, but recently on this show, uh, just about how he's back, his game's back. You know, we're, we're this is the guy we're used to seeing. He's got you know the alien level of confidence <laughs> and mentality. You've been, if you've been lauding him, it's been begrudging. <laughs> No. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 if, if it's good, like I don't want the guy to fail. Like no, it's not I'm that. Just, it's just, if, I'm if just I, messing with you, bud. All right, all right so, and, and it worked. So it's the last three games. I mean, everybody was everybody was horseshit against Calgary. Uh, the last 
three yes, games, he hasn't been nearly as noticeable. And it's not just from a points perspective. Uh but he he just hasn't been as dynamic or noticeable as we had seen in the two weeks previous to that. Um, no. Just part of the ebb and flow of a season, or you know what 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 can you say? Um, yeah, I mean, I still like his game. Like, I still think he's been pretty good over the course of the past. You know, certainly over the past the ten, uh, certainly over the course of the past ten games, I think he's been excellent. Over the course of the past five, you know. I mean, my impression is, is that obviously with the puck not going in to quite the same level, right? You, you sort of notice it a little more. Um, I still like a lot of what I'm seeing. I'm still seeing the elevated shot attempt rate. I'm still seeing him get quality looks. Um, he's still, you know, he's tends to be driving play pretty well. Uh, maybe not to the level that he was in mid January, like when he carried that, when he sort of helped salvage that road trip significantly. Um, I'm kind of done with seeing him on the wing just in general, but I also think the team, despite the game in Chicago, I think the team hasn't played very well period. And so, you know, like I see some blame going around on Bo Horvat for the third period in Nashville. And it's like, I don't know. He didn't stand out to me as a, as having a particularly bad third period, but he um, hasn't stood out to me at all since he's come back in this, in the small handful of games we've seen him. Like, I, I think it's taken him a while to kind of find his flow again. Yeah. And I mean, but is that that's to be expected? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, for some players, yeah, it just depends. Other guys kind of hit the ground running, as we saw, uh, you know, three games ago with with Thatcher Demko. I would love to see, uh, you know, as far as you talk about Pedersen on the wing, I, I feel the same way. I, I want him back in the middle. And to be honest, I liked what I saw in that small sample size. I think that's where the turnaround began when he played in the middle with the two kids, with Hoglander and Pod Colson. Yeah, I'm here so for that. So we've seen a couple of games now where he's just opted in these back-to-back situations to scratch one. Pod Coles in game one, Hoaglander last night. Do you like that strategy? For Hoaglander, it's the first time he's been scratched since he's been a Canuck. And and not that he's cemented himself a spot in the everyday lineup. He hasn't been as good under Boudreaux, but I would love to see if you put Pedersen back there and not that I've seen anything functional from Jason Dickinson, but with his salary, you got to keep him in the lineup. Move him back on the wing. You could wind up with a with a four line option that actually gets that that Highmore Mott uh, Lamico group back as your fourth line, and you might have a little more depth and scoring options throughout your lineup than you currently do with Pedersen on the wing and a fourth line that's basically a black hole. I don't want to see Hoaglander scratched ever. To be totally honest with you, I, I don't. Have a, I don't either. I have a much bigger issue with that. In terms of a much bigger issue, I don't want to be over dramatic. I find that more troubling from a decision-making standpoint than the pod Coles and scratch, right? Cause that's a younger guy. Um, you know, Hoaglander's played hundred games in this league. Um, you know, I think there's defensive warts, but there's no questioning the work ethic or the, or the speed or the fact that he does a lot of this, the things that this team needs. And I thought he was playing pretty well. Like I thought he was playing. I thought he was one of the Canucks best players on this road trip. So you know, that's when I struggle to understand more. But yeah, I, I, I look, give me give me Pedersen, Hoaglander, Pod Colson. That sounds good. I'm, I'm on board with that. I, I'd also like to see, um, you know, I, I'm down to see Pedersen Besser again. We haven't seen much Pedersen Besser. I'd like to see that. Um, I don't want to see Petey on the wing. I don't think that's where he's best. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay with... Um, 
I'm okay with the kids play for sure. I think that that makes sense as a third line and lets you do some interesting things a little further up the lineup. Maybe even playing, you know, if you're insistent on Dickinson being in the top six, maybe with Pearson and Miller, or maybe it's Horvat Miller with Pearson. I think that could be an interesting look too. That was sort of Miller's first ever assignment with the Canucks. Um, so, you know, there's, there's options here for this team to consider. I, I just think the... I think I think Pedersen's been fine. Like Pedersen has not been this team's problem over the course of this road trip. And I still think you're going to see him score an awful lot more over the balance than you've seen to this point. I still think he'll end up finishing at like 55 points, which re- would require him to accelerate his pace. I think you're going to see the same out of Brock Besser. Um, you know, as much as this team has been fortunate in terms of its goaltending luck, um, it's been really snake bit offensively and yeah they are playing low event hockey but their offensive totals underrate them just as their defensive totals overrate them and it's going to be interesting to see that regress over the course of the season like we're going to see the Canucks score more and we're going to see the Canucks permit more goals against and the question is is can the offense offset um, the inevitable dip in goaltending quality that that's likely to come over the balance of the season like that to me is the is the big suspense here i guess the the big thing i'm curious to see um because i don't think there's a ton of suspense from a playoff race perspective and if you're suspensefully waiting for us to talk nfl we're not going to for the first time in a while are we not going to talk are we not going to talk washington commanders Oh, that, yeah, that's today, isn't what it? What a horrible name. Yeah, I know. Disaster. Just, Washington yeah, football team was so cool, too. Like, it was cool in a, like, very, like, generic brand, no frills kind of way. Well, so, it sounded very old school because that's how yeah, teams were named way back in time. I know. It was but, dope. Uh, we're, we're not going to dive into our picks because we still got another week away before we've got to talk about what our Super Bowl picks are. So you that should talk, be fun. You want to talk, uh, like, footy? You want to talk Canadian football? How impressive was that? Uh, awesome. I'm so excited for tonight. They can clinch. They can clinch tonight. Could you imagine? I can. They're going to clinch. They're going to be at the World Cup. In Qatar. I might have to weasel away into that trip. Ah, man, that would be amazing. I don't think think there's accommodation. So you'd have to, like, if you're going as a fan, you kind of have to stay in, like, Abu Dhabi or... um, No, no, no. I've got to find some sort of way to scam my way in as a journalist. No, I know. But even Uh, even still, accommodation is really tough. Because all the countries that, like, qualified well in advance, they've already booked it up. So... If you're going as a fan, you kind of have to stay, like I've looked into this a little bit, you kind of have to stay in like Dubai or Abu Dhabi and fly in for the game, um, which I'm, you know, by the time by the time I arrange all that, it's like a very, very pricey trip in the oh, middle yeah. of a hockey season. So I unfortunately think I'm just going to go to a bunch of World Cup games in 2026. <laughs> There you go. Uh, In the meantime, the Canucks have a week off. Then they've got six at home of their next seven. Three in a row, Arizona on the eighth, uh, New York, the Islanders on the ninth, and then the Leafs in town on the 12th. So it should be a lot of fun. A week to sit back and and reset. We'll be back again early next week as far as other podcast options. Mike Russo joins the roundtable with Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Meanwhile, Shane Doan, the general manager of Team Canada at the 2022 Winter Olympics in Bay Beijing is Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian's guest this week as well on the Athletic Hockey Show. What a beauty. Mean- One of my favorite guys. Absolutely. Hard. It's impossible not to like Shane Doan. Yeah, Meanwhile, as, as far as we're concerned, Drancer, enjoy a few days off. Spend it with Wallace. I'll go downstairs and hang out with Luna, uh, our, new, <laughs> uh, our, newest, our newest addition. 
But uh, hey, thanks for listening to all of all of our VanCast listeners, all the VIPs. You are the true all-stars, especially putting up with Drancer for the first half of the season. So we thank you for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on, yeah, you know, all these guys. Oh, Drancer, he's so negative. So you're an all-star if you've put up with us throughout 100%. this time. Uh, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. And again, our show returns post-All-Star break next week. 